You're listening to Payments Innovation, a podcast dedicated to helping business leaders navigate today's global digital economy. Looking to learn about the latest innovations within fintech and payments? You've come to the right place. Let's get into the show. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Payments Innovation Podcast. This is your host, Alex Barr from Currency Cloud. And today I'm joined by the CEO of Drive Wealth, Robert Courtright. Hi, Bob. How are you? I'm great, Alex. Great to speak to you. Great to speak to you. Uh, Bob, for our listeners, um, could you tell us a bit about yourself, about Drive Wealth? I think also it would be interesting is to know what inspired you to build Drive Wealth. Sure. So I spent most of my, well, the first half of my career on investment banking and banking, obviously watching a lot of different trends happen, like funds management, obviously the growth of retail training. Uh, because I've confounded a couple of companies before DriveWell. I've a company called FX Solutions. So I've been in the FX business my entire career pretty much. And throughout that career, I noticed there's a real dearth of, of, of availability to the U.S. equities markets, uh, which spurred the idea that if we reinvented the platform and built an affordable, accessible way to get, attract those markets around the world, because FX obviously being a global business, that would be a real good asset for people to purchase because most people around the world were consumers of these types of stocks. Yeah, it's super interesting. So you're, you're quite ahead of the curve already. Well, I got a chance to see a lot of interesting things, right? I ran Merrill Lynch's FX department for a number of years, and I saw how retail thought and traded. Um, I also, obviously, with FX Solutions, I got to see the dearth of, of quality products for retail in terms of, like, CFDs, contracts for difference, difficult product to trade. But you could see the demand for single equity CFDs. I mean, people wanted to own these securities, but they just didn't have an affordable way to do it. So I was fortunate enough to be around a long time and see a lot of different things, how markets evolve. And then also I got really lucky with, with obviously the digital wallet transformation. Obviously, digital transformation in general has been a really boom for the retail, the retail financial services business. Yeah, I mean, there's been a huge, a huge boom in the last 18 months completely. Well, I'd be interested to, to talk a little bit more about, firstly, where, where Drive Wealth fit into this retail investing ecosystem. What, what is the role that you play? It's interesting because, you know, we rely on guys like yourselves, Currency Cloud. And I think the tip of the spear was moving movement of money, payments. Uh, the payment infrastructure was obviously archaic for a long, long time. Very expensive to move money cross-border. And now you can see people move money peer-to-peer frictionlessly with a swipe of a finger. And that's also happening globally. They're starting to make it very efficient to move money. For instance, just to invest in the U.S. stock market for another country like Australia, you have to do Australian dollars, convert to U.S. dollars. And then buy a U.S. stock. It could be very, you know, it was very costly, very cumbersome. Um, but the, you know, once the payment infrastructure started to really explode and give people a, a way to move their money around the world seamlessly, the next thing was banking infrastructure, which made it easy for people to store the money, i.e., like a digital wallet. We see the really explosion of these neo challenger banks around the world. And now, the last, I think, the third leg of the stool is, ba- is savings and investment. And DriveWell obviously is a global infrastructure platform that powers embedded finance inside these digital wallets and uh, neo-challenger banks and these ecosystems that provide retail financial services. I suppose it's such, a, it's, such a topical, it's such a topical thing at the moment, isn't it, with this, well, I suppose you'd call it the retail trading boom, um, and I suppose how that's been, been spurred but more by, by, by the pandemic. What, what, have, what have you noticed on your side more about what people are looking for and I suppose more on the, the fractional trading side? It's funny because I, I actually think it's a global phenomenon. I think there's a lot more going on than just retail trading. 
I mean, everybody's talking about the GameStop drama and the Reddit boom and all that with retail. Mm. And I think that's a small part. There's a small part to play. I think in the U.S. specifically, I think, you know, these young people have a different mentality towards investing. I think people are criticizing their their methods. But I think these, you know, a lot of these young kids are gamers. They're used to these types of, of action. They like the action. Uh, and, I, and I really, I think it's important that they basically get in, engaged with the process and learn by their mistakes. Uh, for a long time, we've always said, you know, you only learn by your mistakes. And now we criticize people for trying new things. Um, but I, I think it's a good it's a good phenomenon because they're they're learning how to how to engage with small amounts of money in an ecosystem that's easy to use. Around the world, though, it's a little bit different. Around the world, it's a little bit more about affordable access. Um, you see people for the very first time, and that's why fractional helps so much. I think a real real interesting trend is the is the real segmentation around these digital wallets and digital ecosystems, allowing people to do all kinds of things inside their wallet. Well, it's whether it's move money and pay their bills or, or send money to a friend, but now it's also savings and investing and whatever's available in their pocket, right? That's, that was the real hurdle. The intimidation of it, which people now are getting experience, like I said, about retail day trading, but also the fact that they can afford to enter the market in, in a way that they feel comfortable with. You know, it's, you know, you saw a lot of things in the beginning where people had $5,000 minimums on, on robo-advisory and People have dropped down those minimums. But the truth is people want to invest what they can afford in their pocket. And that could be they want to buy $20 worth of Amazon out of India or $10 worth of Coca-Cola. It's a different, it's a different mentality. And it allows people to start to engage very, very frictionlessly. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I think that democratization of investing as, as, an, as an example on that point leads quite nicely into like financial literacy by doing right i think that that's probably something you must see in your i know you have a quarterly report i suppose your your stats must back that up completely oh you nailed it i mean financial literacy i think is a is is a critical component of this whole thing and you've got to give kudos to a lot of these different applications that are promoting that that's what i'm saying about this democratic targeting and, and segmentation around these applications right they're, they're, you know, for instance, we have a company called Greenlight that's basically working with young people and their parents to obviously give them the financial literacy for teenagers before they start their financial life, right? Teach them how to invest, you know, being disciplined around savings. These are, these are really, really great strides in terms of financial literacy because we don't teach it in the school systems, right? And then people go on to college and they get a job and they get out in the real world. They know very little about managing money. Uh, and I, I think, you know, I know a lot of, of older people are knocking these kids trading, but it's a great way to get engaged and experience it and learn from your mistakes. And I think that's what financial literacy, to your point, Alex, is exactly that. It's engagement. You just can't force this type of thing through books or different, you know, obviously, you know, seminars or whatever down their throat. They've got to actually learn by doing. Yeah. And there's a, there's a huge amount of people that I know myself, you, you buy what you know, don't you? You, you take those small steps and invest into things that you maybe purchase every day? Yeah, for the most part, globally, that's the case, right? That's how they start, right? They start by building a little portfolio. That's what's great about fractionalization, what I call notional trading or notional investing, because you can take $100 and you can buy the 10 top securities that you like or that you basically consume on a daily basis. The, the, you know, the nice thing to your point, though, is financial literacy is all about that. That engagement leads to becoming more sophisticated around how you think. You learn from your mistakes and you move on to even more sophisticated strategies. Or you can invest in managed accounts like robo-advisory or managed you know, products that people sell, or you start getting into ETFs. But that's, that's, it's, it, the whole basic thing is to start, right? 
And it doesn't matter whether you start with $5 or $5,000, but to start and experience it, to understand that, you know, over the long term, it's going to pay big dividends. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you. Um, I think it would be interesting to touch on, you know, a, a, a word or a phrase that we all use in our industry quite a lot about embedded finance. Do you think all of the things that we've been discussing here, financial literacy, you know, democratization of, of investment and its processes, do you, it, it's obviously contributing to the world of embedded finance. I'd love your view on what you think the future looks like. Yeah, well, I think there's definitely a distinction between brokerage and embedded finance. And that's what I've been trying to say for a long time, that embedded finance really is, is a consumer behavior linked kind of uh, saving investment strategy, right? You can have roundups, you can have people getting stock back, you can have stock rewards into a platform. These are basically things that people do on a daily basis inside an ecosystem, like a digital wallet. What I call these retail financial service ecosystems. On-demand finance, right? If you need to borrow some money, you can borrow it. Moneyline does a good job at that, right? And then, and then you start to you know, develop habits and get rewards for the things that you do well in, in your financial life. Brokerage is different. Brokerage, you know, basically people are more, it's really more for maybe the top 20% of wealthy people, right? They open a brokerage account, very sophisticated, very, very intimidating. Uh, it's their money in the account. They manage it. Really, in, in the embedded finance world, it's kind of a, a relationship between your partner, uh, say it could be a Revolut or it could be a cash app, and, and yourself, right? I mean, by engaging in good financial behavior, you get rewards for that, and, and they do it in a very affordable way. You can move money very frictionlessly, as you guys know. So embedded finance, to me, is an, an evolving ecosystem that's going to improve people's standard of living over, over the next decade in, in, in ways people can't judge today. Obviously, with people being upset with the banks, the fees that they charge and things like that, the unbanked, we talk about a lot. Um, embedded finance is going to be the new ecosystem that really helps people evolve their financial life uh, and do it in a much more affordable and efficient way. And I, and I think AI, I'd love to talk about AI and, and machine learning and how it's going to impact that. Yeah, sure. Uh, please go on. I'd, I'd love to hear your points on, on AI. Absolutely. Well, the, the, the one, my point is this embedded finance is really an ecosystem around your financial life, your financial services, all embedded in one, one, one you know, swipe of the finger, one app. And what's going to happen is people start to use data in a, in a real way. And this is, the, this is the issue around the legacy infrastructure of banks and, and brokerage houses. They don't really holistically treat the customer. They're more product-centric. So they don't really understand the customer needs as well because they're more worried about what the mortgage department's doing, the lending department, or the brokerage department. Embedded finance really around this ecosystem, they're going to learn about what your needs are. I'll give you an example. Banks charge high fees. They pay no interest on deposits. Right? These ecosystems around digital embedded finance, they're going to start to find ways to get your money and treat it really well. Uh, we're going to be able to invest in higher yield products. And then you'll hump in that your cash will sit in those high yield products until you have to pay your Netflix bill. Why pay your Netflix bill two weeks early when you can earn interest or money in your account and then pay that right on time, real-time payments? They'll also be able to manage your credits. You know, your credit costs are up a lot better. Like, you know, you've seen so many things when these, these companies started to evolve, and they were kind of vertical in their, in their approach, right? The unbundling of the banks. Mm. So they were basically helping you better, you know, better manage your debt. Right. Well, I see that happening inside a wallet and they'll take some of that debt and that savings and they'll move it into investments. So I'm saying what they'll do is they'll manage your investment portfolio a lot more efficiently without the cost of a bank. And you'll have a, it'll, it'll raise your standard of living. And I think that's a vicious cycle. People will earn more, they'll have more disposable income, they'll invest more of that disposable income and investment. 
and so on and so on. So I think, you know, artificial intelligence is going to really make decisions for you that make put your money in a much better position for earning and, and, and basically saving a lot of money as well. Yeah, I think the innovation is going to it's going to give consumer empowerment is what I would say, isn't it? Exactly. Consumer empowerment. That's not brokerage. That's my point. Yeah, I agree. That, that's embedded finance. Brokerage is something you maintain or you basically invest in and let some professional manager manage your money. Embedded finance is consumer empowerment, as you just described. Taking a different tact, um, Bob, I'd love to know, because, you know, I look at it from the from the UK or EMEA lens. I, I'd love to know what you see as what the wealth tech or the wealth management differences between North America on, you know, on your side and your view as, a, as opposed to EMEA. Where, where do you see the trends going? Do you, do you think they... They go in in the same direction, or do you think they diverge slightly? Well, I, I think you know, obviously, America has been pretty sophisticated around the brokerage industry and and, and served a lot more people than just the high net worth. Um, around the world, I see it more as a, as a high net worth kind of product because of the cost of moving money and things like that. People obviously didn't have the access, uh, like I said, to to the real premier markets. I think I think those things are going to start to become less important because I think these digital ecosystems, these neo challenger banks, are going to do an amazing job evolving the ecosystem to be full service and very cost effective. So I think I think it's actually going to be a global phenomenon. I think you'll always have your day traders. I think no matter where they are, but I think overall as an ecosystem, it's going to evolve in a way that's going to serve everyone all over the world. There's what, six, seven billion digital wallets or six billion digital wallets in the world. I mean, the fact that if you can build an ecosystem that serves people in a, in a much more efficient way and gives them access, it will raise everyone's standard of living. So, I mean, to put you on the spot then, Bob, what, what do you think is what do you think's next for 2022 what's, and beyond? What's, what's the next iteration of, of the industry that we're in, do you think? Yeah, well, I think I, I think it's the advancement of data, and, and I think data-centric companies and AI, and that's kind of my point. I think as as, as people get a better handle, and I think these ecosystems are a much better position to, to basically make decisions through data than say the banks and the brokerage houses. Brokerage houses are really mostly focused on product and the customer; they're not focused on the overall efficiency of the customer throughout his financial life. I think AI is going to be the big story, not only next year but in the next five or ten years. Um, like I said, evolving people's you know, value and affordability and, and disposable income is going to be an incredible thing to raise people's standard of living. I'll give you a great example. I mean, when the uh, two guys who ran consumer division of Marcus moved over to Walmart, that wasn't on purpose. They're not going to Walmart to be you know Walmart greeters. They're going there to really run finance, their financial ecosystem to reward their loyal consumers. Their attitude is if they can give their consumers a better you know financial situation in terms of better costs more efficient returns, right? Give them access to products that they would not normally have. I mean, people sitting in a bank account with six basis point returns, that's not going to cut it, right? I think they're going to evolve and really treat these customers better. So not only have they more money to spend at Walmart, but they have more money to invest and do other things in their lives. So I think AI and machine learning is going to be incredibly powerful uh, within these ecosystems of, of, of you know, digital transformation. Ultimately, at the end of it, everyone's looking for yield, right? So if the industry can provide, then all the better. That's exactly what it is. We're coming out with a couple ETF products that are target, you know, yield targeted. You know, we call it the Steady Saver 3% targeted yield. We have the Power Saver 8% yield using some stable coin returns and some corporate bonds and things like that. 
we think the world, you know, globally is looking for yield after all the money printing and all the money sloshing around interest rates went to zero. I think people are worried about inflation. They're looking for some returns in yield. So there's a combination of obviously investing in great securities and also investing in fixed income as well. Uh, so it's, it's, it's a, it's, I, this is a massive global trend, which I don't think people realize, especially in the United States, they're kind of U.S.-centric in their thinking. And that's, and that's also a brokerage mentality. But the rest of the world, these challenger banks are growing like weeds. Uh, and, and, you know, they're doing great service to their customers. Well, look, Bob, it's been great speaking with you today. For those who want to find more about you, about Drive Wealth, what's the best way for people to get in touch? Yeah, I mean, you can look us up on drivewealth.com um, or just reach out to us uh, through, the, through the website. Uh, and we'll be happy to talk to you about anything you want to talk about. It's, uh, we think the emerging markets uh, world is, is growing with affluence and the applications are super. We call them the super apps. We, you know, we're powering a lot of these things around the world. So we have a really good insight into what's happening, uh, not only here in the United States, but globally. Great. Well, thanks again, Bob, for joining and sharing some great insight on Drive Wealth and, and, you know, the world of wealth tech and embedded finance. Um, Have a great day. Yeah, Josh. Thanks so much. Currency Cloud is an online payments company that makes international money transfers fast and simple for businesses. We're building a borderless future where international transactions are seamless for a better user experience. Discover the world's most trusted payment platform and our toolkit of developer-friendly APIs at CurrencyCloud.com. You've been listening to the Payments Innovation Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe now in iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Until next time.